According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As always, our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in uh, John 18. John 18, although we will do a fair amount of flipping between all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We wrapped up the arrest episode last Wednesday, and we're ready now to uh, move on to episode 26. Episode 26. And uh, this current outline is going to combine 26, 27, 28, and 29. I've never done this before. We've combined two uh, a few times. We even combined three once upon a time. Uh, this is the first time ever that I've combined four in the Life of Christ series. I was tempted to combine eight, but we'll, uh, we'll back off a little bit. We'll just combine four. Okay. By the way, you can find this. Do you not have our uh, Harmony of the Gospels that we're using? That would be worth highlighting. Uh, at AustinBibleChurch.com. I like to just go here to the Life of Christ page, Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock. And this brings up everything. This is uh, current studies, Life of Christ, uh, as current as one week ago with lesson number 411. All right. And uh, here on the right, you've got kind of a, uh, a menu. This is a, an outline, and it's structured to follow the outline of the, of the course. All right. And so, if you want to go to Harmony of the Gospels, it's just right there, near the top of the Life of Christ. And this will bring up uh, lesson number one, okay? 411 classes ago, taught on Wednesday, January 7th of 2004, okay? And, uh, and you can even listen to it. Click on that to listen. Or, you can also select here, and this is where your PDF is located. And this PDF has the... Uh, outline that we've been following now for 411 lessons since going back to 2004. We possibly also have these out in the hallway. We, we do stock them, and unless they're all gone, they're stocked in the hallway. Um, or you download it and you have it yourself. You have it on your, on your laptop, you throw it to your Kindle or whatever you're doing on your iPad, tablet thing. Okay? And, uh, and so here it is. Now, this is what we've been following. Uh, the basic harmony uh, came out of uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers and uh, some of their uh, Bible helps. We've modified it significantly with uh, adjustment of dating uh, in particular. Uh, I hold to a 33 crucifixion date. Some people hold to 30 or 32 A.D., for example. And so the dates have been modified. The order has been kept pretty well intact. Uh, but this is uh, the, the, the chart then where you're going to find all these episode headings. You're going to find these numberings that I'm using. And uh, some of the titles that I'm not particularly fond of, I've stuck with them because it's not my harmony. I'm adapting somebody else's harmony. And so there we have it. Uh, we have been now in the midst of Jesus' final week of work at Jerusalem for some time, starting with episode one, the triumphal entry. And uh, we're still in Jesus' final week of work at Jerusalem. And we've come down now to, we've finished the grief of Gethsemane in episode 24, the betrayal, arrest, and desertion in episode 25, and now we're ready to finish the page. Uh, we're going to have episodes 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 
34, mockery by Roman soldiers, 35 led to Golgotha. All right, but I'm going to take, as I said, four of these at a time. We're going to do 26, 27, 28, and 29 as a unit. So, trial, uh, first examined by Annas, trial by Caiaphas and the council, Peter's triple denial, and then the condemnation by the council. Those four we're going to handle as a unit, meaning uh, we're going to keep the same outline, okay? the same printed notes, the same slideshow. Uh, we won't start over a new slideshow until we get to episode um, 30, uh, 30, the suicide by Ju uh, Judas Iscariot. And then uh, I'll probably handle that just as a single one-shot lesson. And then we'll, we'll combine 31, 32, 33 as uh, the two appearances before Pilate and the appearance before Herod. We'll, we'll put those together as well. We'll combine those as a single unit also. All right? So if that all makes sense to you, then uh, you can go to the website and download this for yourself. Yeah, the basic harmony was taken from Nelson's complete book of Bible maps and charts. Uh, revised dates taken from Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honer. Uh, it was corrected in November of 2004, and an additional correction came in August of 2010. We found several uh, problems with it, and uh, the kind of thing you don't find unless you're going through it page by page by page, chapter by chapter by chapter, and you find that there's some versifications that, that don't work. And so uh, we're happy to, uh, happy to be doing that. All right. This is handy, too, by the way. If you're not familiar with this, you can do the entire, uh, like there's Jesus' final week of work at Jerusalem, and you can do the whole section there. If you want to limit it to uh, betrayal, arrest, desertion, you can limit it to just those. It's highly, highly flexible in how you navigate through the, uh, the audio files and uh, the printed notes when they are available. All right. So, by now, I suspect you're at John 18, and we can begin. Before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to bless our study and to, uh, to be with us today. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word and for the privilege we have today to assemble together to receive instruction. Father, we uh, thank You for the faithfulness of our Savior as we've been watching, as we've been studying and learning. And Father, seeing His faithfulness through the grief of Gethsemane, seeing His faithfulness through the uh, arresting episode. And now, Father, as we uh, begin to take a look at His various trials, Father, we realize that everything that was done was, of course, incredibly unfair, illegal, wrong. Uh, but Father, that's it is what it is. And because of that... Um, He's going to hang on a cross. And yet, Father, He's not there at the hands of man. He's, he's there according to Your will, crucified by Your predetermined plan, crucified by Your foreknowledge. And I pray that we would come to appreciate the, the wisdom of Your plan even while we watch the unfairness of it all unfold. Uh, Father, teach us from Your truth. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. All right. There are individual scriptures assigned to each of these. Uh, in other words, episode 26 has its own individual scriptures. Episode 27, each one of these has their own individual scriptures. What you see on the screen is the combined references for all four of these episodes. And so um, you kind of got the idea of where we're taking this. John 18, we're going to be in John 18, that chapter for all four of these episodes. Um, 
will be in uh, Matthew 26, um, to the end of chapter 26, lapping over one single verse into chapter 27 and verse 1. Likewise, Mark 14, to the end of the chapter, lapping over into one verse into Mark 15, 1. Luke 22, to the end of the chapter, not lapping over one verse, because in Luke we actually have a decent chapter break <laughs> where we don't have to lap over to the next chapter to, uh, to get verse number 1. And, uh, and so forth. Okay? Um, so let's start reading in John 18. The um, 12 through 14, with a little bit of a gap, and then uh, verses 19 through 23. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first. For he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And, and we're going to skip along. We'll, we'll take verses 15 through 18. It's a part of episode 28. I don't have any problem reading it now. Uh, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Okay, I'm actually glad we read that today because I included some notes there in, uh, in episode 26. So this, this will work out well. Um, then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Okay, so there's denial number one. And Jesus had told him he would deny the Lord three times before the rooster crows. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire. For it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. By the way, are you okay? <laughs> we just hit the heat about ten minutes ago. So it, it's probably, okay, we'll keep an eye on that and... Kill it when necessary. All right. By the way, charcoal only appears twice in the Bible. Did you realize that? And uh, the charcoal fire, both times associated with Peter, interestingly enough. The night in which he denies the Lord, and then the morning where he's fixing breakfast, and Jesus says, do you love me? That's right. Do you love me more than these? All right. Back to the high priest then in verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples, and about his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Okay? Unlike this current trial right here. <laughs> in the dark of night. Where are all the Jews? Where are all the, the people you're afraid of? Because they hang on my every word and they know I'm a prophet and many of them have proclaimed me as the Christ. Anyway, his answer to the high priest here is a stinging rebuke. I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. It's all a matter of public record. I've got nothing to hide. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Technically, he's not even the high priest. And we'll study this. He is the fired high priest. He's a former high priest. And uh, he's kind of a phony anyway because he was appointed by a Roman. He was fired by a Roman. The whole 
mechanism of the high priesthood had been totally sold out to political and economic and criminal endeavors. Um, in any event, Caiaphas is the presently serving high priest. Annas is his father-in-law. We'll study the background on these men here as a part of this class. But uh, he took offense at it, considered it rather rude or rather offensive, and it was probably supposed to be. Uh, you know, highlighting the, the secretive nature of this illegal night trial by testifying to his own faithfulness and his own public ministry. And so, if you're going to be saucy, uh, then you may, in the ancient world, <laughs> face some physical consequences for that. So, the officer struck Jesus, saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? All right. And Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, in other words, if my statement was wicked, then testify of the wrong. But if righteous, if right, then why do you strike me? Why do you strike me? Just because you don't like it? It's either right or it's wrong. It's not a matter whether you like it or not. Okay? <laughs> and that right there is a whole Sunday sermon when it comes down to how we respond to the Word of God. All right? If it's the Word of God, it's the Word of God, whether we like it or not. Okay? That's the issue. So Annas, realizing he wasn't going to get anywhere in this circumstance, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And that then prepares for the uh, next episode. All right. Well, let's go ahead and stop there. You will note... Did I keep this up and running? I did not keep this up and running. I'm sorry. I should have kept my harmony up and running. Uh, you will note, when you look at the harmony, that episode 26 is not covered by Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Episode 26 is only covered by, uh, by John. Okay, and so I give this to you. Oh, there it is. Outsmarted myself. I said, I, I need to put that up on the board. All right. Um, and that may be too small for you to see back there, but in any event, uh, episode 26, first examined by Annas, not covered in Matthew, not covered in Mark, not covered in Luke. John is the only gospel that records this. Uh, when we go to Matthew 26, for example, they leave the garden and they go to Caiaphas. They go to the trial by the Sanhedrin led by Caiaphas. We'll talk about what the council's about and, and uh, the nature of that as well. So in the Synoptic Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, the first trial that he has is, is before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. It's in the Gospel of John, written decades later. Remember, the Synoptics were all written first and distributed in circulation, and John was written last of all the Gospel records, decades after the, uh, the events took place. And uh, John records so many of these eyewitness accounts. I mean, he was there. He's the disciple that he doesn't name in this chapter. He's the other disciple, the one that's known to the high priest, the one that has access. The, the, the high priest's servants know who he is. They let him in. And uh, we'll discuss these matters. Okay? Now, all four Gospels mention Caiaphas, if briefly. <laughs> uh, Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. There you go. Okay. And then John, by the way, does not bother giving some of the other um, details of that trial the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. That's already covered in the Synoptic Gospels. John doesn't feel convicted or led. Uh, it's not necessary for John to give those details uh, the way that the Synoptic Gospels do. All right, and then the, the triple denial by Peter, that is covered by all four. The uh, council's condemnation is covered by the Synoptics. The suicide of Judas Iscariot is unique to the Gospel of Matthew. 
We'll have to discuss that. Did he hang himself or did his insides burst out? Both. Okay? Because remember, we don't believe any, there's any lie anywhere in the Bible. And we have um, parallel accounts or, or seemingly contradictory statements. They're not contradictory statements. They're complementary statements. And we accept both accounts as being true. Yes, he hanged himself. And yes, he also fell and his insides burst asunder. I don't have any problem reconciling those. Then the appearances before Pilate, two of them, with in between an appearance to Herod. And that is actually only recorded uh, in the Gospel of Luke. If we didn't have Luke's account, we wouldn't realize that there was a, a back and forth from Pilate to Herod and back to, back to Pilate again. All right, so you'll, uh, you'll appreciate that once you download your Harmony and have it available uh, for your own reference. All right, point one then. I like in every fresh outline to start with a point that sets the context. Point one, only the Gospel of John records a preliminary hearing before Annas, or Hannas, if you want to put an H in front of it, or Hanas, if you want to really give it a Hebrew pronunciation. Only the Gospel of John records a preliminary hearing before Annas prior to the trial by Caiaphas. Only the Gospel of John. And this is preliminary. Of course, it's not a council assembled. It's, it's Annas by himself, um, who is technically not even in office, uh, but he is ultimately the power behind the throne. Uh, he runs it like uh, a mafia operation. And uh, not only is Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is the present high priest, but he has five sons, each of whom have served as high priest at one time or another, or they will after Caiaphas. We'll look at some of the uh, historical records related to Annas, or Hannas, however you want to pronounce it. Okay? And this is what we get. Uh, Hannah is a Hebrew name that means grace. Right? It comes into the New Testament as Anna. So if you know somebody named Anna and you know somebody named Hannah, it's the same name, just one's Hebrew and one's Greek. We've got Hananiah, we've got Annas. We'll discuss this. All right, so point A then. The Roman components disappear. The Roman components, that is the, the cohort, the, uh, the uh, Chiliarch, the Roman commander, all right, they affected the arrest, they brought him to Annas, and then they disappear until Jesus is delivered to Pilate. The Roman components disappear between Jesus' delivery to Annas and Jesus' delivery to Pilate. So we have his various deliveries. And I like using the word delivery. It's the same word for betrayal. He's delivered up. He's delivered over. He gets delivered to Annas, and then the Romans disappear until he's delivered to Pilate. And this is interesting because it is, a, it is a, an in-house dispute. It is an in-house judgment amongst the Jewish leaders rejecting their Messiah. But then they have to deliver him back to the Gentile authorities for the execution. All right? The decision is made by the Jews, but the execution has to be achieved by the Romans. The Romans don't permit the, the Jews to, to uh, affect capital punishment. And so they disappear. Verse 12, we do see a cohort and we see a commander. Those are Gentile. Those are Roman. The Spera is has to be Roman. The, uh, the Kiliarch has to be Roman. Likewise, uh, the officers of the Jews have to be Jewish. 
<clears throat> and we still see them. They stick around. It's an officer of the Jews that, uh, that punches him. It's an officer, it's a huperetes, that punches him in verse 22. So the Jewish components stay present throughout the, uh, the trials, uh, but the Roman components disappear. Okay? Annas. Subpoint B then. Annas comes from the Hebrew. It's not even a Greek name. The Greek spelling, though, interestingly enough, the Greek spelling takes a rough breather, puts an H in front of it, even though most modern English texts um, leave the H off of it and leave it as an English name of Annas. Same thing with Anna in the temple. Anna should be Hannah, like, Saul, like Samuel's mother, Hannah. Okay, And um, for whatever reason, in, I think... King James or even older English texts have uh, have kept it as Anna rather than Hannah. They've kept Annas rather than Hannas. Uh, the Strong's Concordance number is number 452. It only has four uses, all four with, re- with respect to this character tonight. Uh, this Hannas character we're looking at, he's the only one in the New Testament with this name. Uh, introduced first in Luke 3.2 and then our passage today, John 18, verses 13 and 24, and then his final appearance will be in Acts 4.6. Look at each of those in a moment. The Hebrew name that Annas comes from is Hananiah. Hananiah. Or Hananiah in the Hebrew. Number 2608. Remember the Hebrew Strong's numbers are different from the Greek Strong's numbers. Hananiah. Or even longer than that, Hananyahu. Sometimes it ends with a long oo sound. But Hananiah. Uh, there are 11 different Hananiahs in the Old Testament. We could even have a Bible quiz this morning. I could ask you to, one of them is easy, and then the other one's kind of a little bit easy, and then they get real obscure after that. Uh, there's 11 Hananiahs. Who, who's your favorite Hananiah in the Old Testament? One of Daniel's three friends, right? He's renamed Shadrach. Is his Babylonian name of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? So he's the most famous one. Um, another one you'll find in Jeremiah 28. He's a false prophet that uh, actually goes to battle against Jeremiah in Jeremiah 28 and uh, so boldly takes the stalks and breaks them off of Jeremiah's neck and prophesies, you know, within a short order, Babylon's going to fall and Judah's going to be free and God's going to bless us. He was a false prophet. Jeremiah was a true prophet. Uh, They're not going to break their bonds. They're going to be carried away to captivity. Anyway, that that rascal was uh, a false prophet named uh, Hananiah. And there's others. There's a perfumer in Nehemiah that was building the wall. And uh, Hananiah the perfumer. That's interesting. Well, let's look at these uses of Anna, Annas. Starting with Luke 3.2. Starting with Luke 3.2. And only because it's a disputed passage that Bible haters like to mock. And they highlight it and they say, see, Luke was a moron. He was a useless historian. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and all the, 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 the Bible haters and, and, and leftists out there that they, they, they just want to want to just accuse Luke of every inaccuracy under the sun. They want to dispute the governorship of Quirinius. They want to dispute um, references like this. In the 15th year, and, and the funny thing is, is every time they attack Luke, they get proven wrong, but they don't care. You know, Luke has been validated again and again and again and again. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts in every respect for his historical accuracy. 
All right, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And this launches the public ministry then of John the Baptizer. All right. So we have a reference here to the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And this is where the secular historians just go buggy and say, oh, this is ridiculous. There's only one high priest at a time. And Annas, we know when Annas was appointed. We know when Annas was fired. We know when Caiaphas was, was appointed. And we know when Caiaphas was fired. And we know all these dates because we believe the secular historians without question. <laughs> they believe every secular historian under the sun. Uh, but the Bible's not trustworthy. We can't believe the Bible at all. Okay, Now, um, it is true, I do agree with them, and, and, and everyone should, that Caiaphas was the high priest that year. And there was a long string of high priests. They were coming and going faster than, than uh, you know, my girl changes clothes. They just go, come and go and come and go. We'll see some of that. Okay, um, But the idea, uh, the way he phrases this here, the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas does remarkably communicate the reality that Caiaphas may have been high priest in name, yes, the high priest de facto, we might say, but who was truly in power and who was truly in charge of him and every other high priest that followed him? See, he may have been deposed officially, but he still pulled the strings for decades afterwards. And there's no disputing that. Even uh, Josephus testifies to that. The Talmud speaks to that. Um, there's really no, and, and the rest of the Gospels play this out. But he was still a power player. He was a broker, a power broker in the, in the political machinations of, uh, of Jerusalem throughout his lifetime. And so, it's not wrong to call it the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. It's actually very historically accurate to call it the, priesthood of, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. It's even a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek way of communicating the reality. See. It's like the, uh, if you're familiar with Roman history, the, uh, the uh, consulship of uh, Julius and Caesar. Are you familiar with that in 59 BC? Okay. And that was coined as a, as a joke. And yet the joke communicated the reality. And it's 2,000 years later still known by that. That year 59 BC was the consulship of Julius and Caesar. Okay, because even though Julius Caesar was only one of two consuls, the other guy, Bibulus, was totally irrelevant and just basically hid in his house the whole year and never, never did anything to thwart anything that Caesar wanted to do. And so Rome didn't really have two consuls that year. Julius Caesar did what he wanted. That's why they called it the consulship of Julius and Caesar. See, anyway, more on that, and I'll get uh, sidetracked. I won't even finish this class. All right. But if you understand Roman history, that's how they dated all their years. Every year was the consulship of somebody, and two somebodies, actually. And so they could track every year of their history based upon who the consuls were for that year, the, the pair of consuls. They didn't know they were 59 B.C., okay? <laughs> that didn't show up on any Hallmark calendars, 59 B.C. All right, then uh, John 18, verses 13 and 24, that's our passage today, which we've already seen. Uh, where he hands him over, to, uh, he appears before the Lord appears before Annas, and then Annas bounds him and sends him over to Caiaphas. 
And then the next time we see him is in Acts 4.6. And this is after, of course, the, the resurrection of Christ and his ascension and the beginning of the, of the church in Acts 2. And then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested. And uh, as this chapter begins here, all the, the preaching that Peter does in chapters 2 and 3 um, stirs up a, a hornet's nest in the part of the religious leaders. And so in Acts 4, um, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. The Sadducees is mainly the uh, priestly party. Okay, so Annas and Caiaphas and all the, the priests that were the components of the Sanhedrin at that point. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So their, their great plan to murder Jesus... It hasn't seemed to stop this whole process. And so now it's not Jesus teaching and leading people away from the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's now Jesus' disciples. And they're preaching, and they're now preaching the resurrection, which, of course, Sadducees are going to hate. And so they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those, and remember, no nighttime trials, that's illegal. So they arrest them at night. Hold him in jail overnight. We'll have your trial in the morning. Um, but many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander. And all who were of high priestly descent. See, when you change your high priest this often, you get a lot of... Uh, uh, retired or, or former high priests. Okay. In particular, uh, not only was Annas' son-in-law the present high priest, but several of, the, of his sons, five of his sons, were all high priests at one time or another. And uh, there's different studies on this and who this John guy is and who the Alexander guy is. Um, and I'll show you some of those here in a moment. And so when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And he goes on to, this is, this is a wonderful message. And you'll note, it takes the same exact tone that Jesus had when he was speaking to Annas. In other words, it was no compromise, no apology. Here's the truth. And uh, it hits hard when it hits the guilty party. <laughs> okay. Um, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man... Is that why we're here? Is that the charge? A sick man was made well? <laughs> What's the charge? As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, <laughs> whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. All right. He is the stone which the builder was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so Peter's he's, he's just preaching it, right? And he's fulfilling, he's showing Scripture fulfilled. He's following the example of Christ. He's hitting Annas right between the eyes, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. All right. And what is he doing on his trial? 
He's given the gospel to the judge, given the gospel to the, 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 uh, everybody in the courtroom. If God's put you in a circumstance, don't grumble over the circumstance. Realize, you know what? God put me here. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take advantage of it. When else do I have an opportunity? Javier had that attitude when he was in the hospital dying of cancer. He used that. He said, when else will I have a chance to you know, be in a place like this and give the gospel to these doctors and these nurses and these people here? You know, I'm not normally in a place like this. So I better use this as an opportunity. And I appreciate that. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, now, this verse is where we get our name for our training ministry. All right? The agramatos terminology and the idiotai terminology. They are illiterate idiots. Okay? Now, it's not true. It is not true. They're very lettered. They're very educated. They're very trained. Just not by them. <laughs> okay? And you realize this is the attitude among the elite in any culture in any century. That if you don't have the, the Ivy League diploma, then you might as well have not gone to any kind of school. Right? And because these men did not go to the rabbinic schools of the Pharisees or the priestly schools and scribal schools of the Sadducees, then they didn't have any training. They, they called the Lord illiterate as well. They called him uh, ignorant. They were bamboozled by him at every turn. But they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And that's the goal for our training ministry. Because every man that, that graduates from here is unlettered when it comes right down to it. They don't graduate from the Austin Bible Church training ministry and then have letters attached to the end of their name. But men will recognize that they've been with Jesus. Men will recognize that they're gifted and trained. No one's ever going to doubt that Cliff Beveridge is a pastor teacher, for example. Because the credentials are the flock that he shepherds. And so we see it here. All right. So seeing the man who had been healed, standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. What do you answer? <laughs> you know? And really, does it break the law to, to do a work of God? That's what the Sabbath is for. To set aside secular stuff and, and serve the Lord. So, yeah, this man's healed. The Lord did it. Anyway, so there it is. What shall we do with these men? <laughs> so they had nothing to say in reply. When they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. They you know, sent them out of the room, lock them back up in a cell. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. In other words, there's too many witnesses. And we cannot deny it. We want to deny it. We would if we could. But we can't. It is entirely too undeniable. There are too many witnesses. It is public knowledge and it is undeniable. Now, <laughs> you realize a miracle has taken place. They know it. We know it. We don't like it. What are we going to do about it? How can we keep it from happening again? You understand this is the insanity of it. This is like Balaam arguing with his donkey. Okay? If the donkey speaks to you, that's supposed to get your attention. You don't argue back. If a miracle has taken place, God's at work. You're opposed to what God's doing? Yes. And they admit it. Because that's not who they're serving anyway. 
All right. So that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. So they summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Do you obey a command like that? They disobeyed in chapter 5. One more chapter later, they, they just keep on doing what they're doing. They get rearrested. We told you to stop doing that. They say, well, we've got to obey God rather than man. It's an important principle. It's one we better start paying attention to because we may have days like that coming up in our country. I realize I've not been reinvited to the city council in about six years now. Since the last time, it was very clear I was not supposed to end my prayer in Jesus' name, and I ended my prayer in Jesus' name. They told me not to, I did. Now, to be fair, they didn't come right out and say, don't you dare do it, but it was obvious. The way they kept enforcing, they, say, they kept saying, make sure this is a non-sectarian prayer you offer. What does that mean? Don't name Jesus, okay? So I ended my prayer in Jesus' name. They haven't been back. <laughs> no more invitations have come, and I'm not holding my breath waiting for the next one, okay? All right. Josephus also wrote about Annas in a couple of different places. So subpoint C, some Josephus references here. Subpoint C, Josephus also wrote about Annas. Remember, Josephus. Um, was a Jew. He was a Pharisee by training. Uh, served in the military. Served in the Roman military. All right. Was present at the destruction of Jerusalem on the Roman side. Okay. Tried to negotiate with uh, the Jews and different things. Uh, was really hated by them. No one could. Uh, you know, he's a traitor, a race traitor, traitor to his people, traitor to his nation. Um, but he, you know, he knew that there was no way they could defend against Rome. He understood what the Roman legions were all about. He, he led the, you know, he was a part of that process. Anyway, so his writings are, are very valuable. Um, and for the most part, um, accurate. We can appreciate that. All right, Antiquities of the Jews, book 18 and book 20. Um, book 18 here. When Cyrenius, uh, by the way, this is available in, in uh, English and in Greek if, in your Logos software if you want to do studies of that nature. When Cyrenius had now uh, disposed of Archelaus's money and when the taxings were come to a conclusion which were made in the 37th year of Caesar's victory over Anthony and Actium, he deprived Joazar of the high priesthood, which dignity had been conferred on him by the multitude, and he appointed... Annas, and that's it's spelled in this English text, Ananas. It's the same Annas we're looking at in the New Testament. The son of Seth to be high priest. And so this is how he gets appointed. Okay. And is this anything like the Old Testament? Okay. Is this anything like Aaron? He's the high priest, and he serves as high priest until he dies. And then his son becomes the high priest, and he serves as high priest until he dies. And then his son becomes high priest. Okay. No. This is nothing like that. These are political appointees by the Romans. And those that will give the right kickbacks. Those that will pay the right fees. Those that will keep the people complacent. Alright? You know, Herod can keep his kingdom as long as the people don't rebel. This guy can keep his high priesthood as long as the people don't rebel. And they've got political authority keeping things in check. They've got religious authority keeping things in check. And if things ever start getting rocky, get rid of you and put another puppet in there. 
which they would do a lot. All right. So when Herod and Philip had each of them received their own tetrarchy and settled the affairs thereof, Herod also built a wall around Sepphoris. Sepphoris is an amazing city. It's never mentioned in the New Testament, which is amazing. It was the largest uh, Gentile city in Galilee. Um, different things there. All right, again, if I keep reading that, I'll get into Mark Anthony and Caesar and Cleopatra and all that. It's fun history, but... Cleopatra hated Herod, hated him, wanted him dead. Uh, two more books later, Josephus, book 20. Uh, Caesar, upon hearing of the death of Festus, sent Albinus into Judea as procurator. But the king deprived Joseph of the high priesthood and bestowed the succession to that dignity on the son of Ananus, who himself was also called Ananus. And so the Annas we're looking at today, he has a son named Annas. He will also become high priest later on. Um, here's the reference. Uh, the, the report goes that this elder Annas, the one you read about in John 18, this elder Annas proved a most fortunate man, for he had five sons who had all performed the office of high priest to God, and he himself enjoyed that dignity a long time, formerly, which had never happened to any other of our high priests. Well, yeah, because in the old days... <laughs> You never had a retired high priest calling the shots as the, as the different sons became high priests. They, they served until they died. They served for life. And then the son was anointed and he became high priest and served for life. Different aspects there. But this younger Annas, who, as we have told you already, took the high priesthood, was a bold man in his temper and very insolent. He was also the sect of the Sadducees. Most of them were. Uh, who are very rigid in judging offenders above all the rest of the Jews, as we have already observed. And then it goes on to describe some of the trouble that Annas went into because of his temper. All right. So Josephus also wrote about Annas, wrote about his five sons, wrote about the, uh, the uh, different things there. does not mention his son-in-law, Caiaphas, unless he included Caiaphas as a son. Sometimes son-in-laws were considered sons. Different aspects on that. There is a synopsis of Annas and his crime syndicate provided in Grace Notes. I recommend that. If you've taken the Acts 1 series, uh, it's featured in Lesson 10. A synopsis of Annas and his crime syndicate is provided in Grace Notes. And if you subscribe to uh, Acts, there's the different units in Acts, but uh, the first section of Acts, Lesson 10, the final lesson of Section 1, uh, you'll find those notes. You can also get them off the website. Let me back up here. Huh. Warned me that there could be a virus in that PDF. Okay. I thought this would be easy to show you. Gracenotes.info is the website. We've got links on our church website. Acts of the Apostles, section 1, takes you from chapter 1 to chapter 7. This is lesson 10. And I'll just search for Annas. 
point of Acts 4.6. Here we go. The whole area of the Levant was controlled economically and politically by an extensive crime syndicate that had its headquarters in Jerusalem. Okay? And this reads like something out of The Sopranos. Okay? Or something, uh, with, uh, uh, something from Chicago with Al Capone. These gangsters' territory extended from Antioch in the north to Alexandria, Egypt in the south. These criminals made millions every year through every form of graft and corruption, bribes, kickbacks, and outright theft. Uh, they skimmed taxes, the example of Zacchaeus in the Gospels. Uh, the Romans assessed the taxes, but the crooked tax collectors who worked for the syndicate collected much more than was assessed, and the Romans looked the other way as long as they got theirs. And it wasn't even hidden. It was expected. The Romans said, look, we want, we want six talents this year. And they didn't care what the tax collectors had to do to go get it. And in some cases, uh, those who had the contract would then um, subdivide <laughs> and they would subcontract for some, some agents to go do the, the collection, you know, the kneecapping and everything else. In other cases, the tax collectors were so cheap themselves, they didn't want to pay the subcontractors, that they sat in the booth personally. And that's the kind of tax collector Telonius that Matthew was before he got saved. Matthew uh, was of the, uh, the, the cheapest of all. He sat in the booth himself, did the, the enforcing himself to collect those taxes. In any event, Matthew, later the apostle, later the author of the first gospel. Uh, the syndicate operated north and south of Jerusalem and Gaza and the Negev Desert and along all the caravan routes to India, China, and Africa. The bandit gangs hid out in the mountains, uh, such as those east of the Sea of Galilee, and raided caravans and individual travelers. Herod the Great had cleaned out the mountain bandit gangs a number of years previously, but they were flourishing again at the time of the beginning of the new church. For many years, the head of this huge syndicate had been a man named Annas. Annas supervised all the criminal enterprises, took care of bribing all the Roman officials and military officers so that they would go easy on criminals. Annas's whole extended family were leaders in these criminal activities, and they were extremely wealthy, having been operating as criminals for nearly two decades. Annas was called Annas the High Priest because he had been Jewish High Priest on more than one occasion, serving a total of nine years. Annas' father, also named Annas, had been a High Priest, as had several of Annas' brothers. Three of his sons had been High Priests also, and at the time of this story, Caiaphas, who was married to Annas' daughter, was serving as High Priest. Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas are named in this verse. In fact, we read that a little bit ago as well, Acts 4-6, where they told Peter and John to quit preaching the resurrection of Jesus. There is speculation about who John and Alexander are. It seems probable that John was uh, Yohanan ben Zakkai, very famous at that time in the Jewish nation, uh, referenced in the uh, Talmud. says of him, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, the priest, lived 120 years. He found favor in the eyes of Caesar when he died. The glory of wisdom ceased. Alexander was probably Alexander Lysimachus, and I agree with both of these conclusions, by the way. Um, one of the richest Jews of his time, who made great gifts to the temple, was highly esteemed by King Agrippa. He was brother to the famous Philo Judaeus. When we talk about Philo in the, the, the Greek writings then that are parallel to the New Testament writings, same time frame. I mean, not parallel, but same time frame. Uh, the father of Alexander Tiberius, who married Berenice, the daughter of Agrippa the Elder, who was, and was governor of Judea after Cuspius Fadus. There we go. Anyway, all that comes from uh, Josephus. A lot of that comes from Emil Schur. Uh, a lot of that comes from uh, Edersheim, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. 
goes on to talk about when Jesus was tried, they brought him to Annas first, even though Caiaphas was the high priest, because Annas was the political boss and had to approve everything that happened. Caiaphas was the high priest until 38 AD when he was finally deposed. You might read 37 AD, uh, depending on what source and how they date the, uh, the years at that time. The kindred of the high priest were other sons, sons-in-law, uncles, brothers, all members of the Annas family. All right, so that's Grace Notes, the information there. Point E, the last thing we'll say. The Apostle John was known to the high priest and had access to his house. The Apostle John was known to the high priest and had access to his house. Now, I've just spent 20 minutes describing for you what a slime Annas was. Okay? He was an unbeliever. He was a criminal. He was a murderer. He, was, he ran this mafia-type operation. And if I was personal friends with him, that might not be something I would write about. <laughs> okay? Uh, and in particular, when this guy is responsible for the death of my Savior, and I was personal friends with him, I, I may want to maybe avoid letting that information be made known. But if it's true... And if the Holy Spirit inspires you to compose this in the canon of Scripture, then it is uh, more than interesting. It's actually um, uh, powerful in its testimony. It's often, it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful apologetic defenses that we have. Whenever the apostles write of things that are for themselves personally embarrassing. You know, Peter and his denials. That's, that's not favorable to Peter's character. <laughs> if, and if we were, if we were, if they, if Christianity was manufactured out of a bunch of lies, then those lies would not include the components that are embarrassing to the people that were making up these lies, right? So we understand it's the, it's the apologetic of embarrassment, and it's the, it's uh, the evidentiary value of something that would otherwise be uh, detrimental. And you realize, well, you know what? There's actually motivation to lie the other direction. And there's no motivation to lie this direction. And so it's, it's viewed when you weigh the evidence as being of value or not. Uh, it it's, has a better evidence capacity because it's so embarrassing. Why would they include that? Why is John known to this high priest? And is that even possible? Okay. I believe it's impo I believe it is possible. I believe it's likely. And I believe that the alternative is actually unlikely. I think it's unthinkable that Annas, with all of his connections, Annas, Annas knows everybody that's worth knowing. Because he's either bribed them and, and he's formed alliances with them, or he's targeted them as enemies and done what he could do to destroy them. If, if anybody is knowable, Annas knows them. And trust me, Jesus and John, the household of Zebedee and the household of Joseph and Mary, those households are knowable. All right? And we don't often think about that. But they're, they're, they're royalty. They're of the tribe of Judah. They're of the lineage of David. Oh, yes, they are knowable. 
Their births, the birth records are recorded in the temple that they themselves keep custody of. They've got birth records going back to David, and Jesus is on that list. John is on that list. Alright? Now, Peter's not. <laughs> Who's this Peter guy? But John is, and Jesus is. And they're very knowable. So the idea that John was not known to the high priest is the alternative is actually what's unthinkable. Now, we read this already. Let's just spotlight it again. Um... Simon Peter was following Jesus, so was another disciple. And this is, this is how John always refers to himself. He never names himself in his own gospel record. He's either the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, things like that. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. He just walked straight on in. As the guards were bringing Jesus in, he was right there at his side. There was no question. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So he'd gone past a doorkeeper. And the doorkeeper knew who he was. The doorkeeper didn't, didn't stop him. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper. A little slave girl, we don't know her name. Uh, but it's doorkeeper in the feminine gender. Okay, Got masculine and feminine uh, gender for the vocabulary of doorkeeper. This happens to be the feminine Inflection for the vocabulary of doorkeeper. So he went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. John brought Peter in. The slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Now that also there, that also I think is huge. And I think going back to Chrysostom, church fathers have been highlighting that also. You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? I believe this doorkeeper knows who John is, knows that he's a disciple of Jesus, knows that he's there to observe the trial, and lets him in anyway. I think it shows a lot of courage on John's part. And if, if, the, if the slave girl knows that John's a servant of Jesus, I think it just adds one more component of disgust with Peter. <laughs> you know? Standing here with John, saying, yep, let him in, he's with me. And she looks at John and looks at Peter and says, are you also, like, like John, are you also one of uh, Jesus' disciples? And you'd think that Peter could say, yes. I'm with Jesus and I'm with him. John didn't have any, John wasn't hiding it. We'll, talk, we'll discuss this a little bit more when we get to uh, Peter's Point three will be uh, Peter's triple denial. So we'll have more to say under point three of the outline. All right. Known to the high priest. Known to the high priest. How, how might this be? Well, let's give some thoughts on this. First of all, John's mother was Mary's sister. Now, some deny this. I, I don't think you can. I, I think if you deny it, you got more. you got more to explain than I can't explain. I think it's easier to explain it this way. And it also helps to understand why she got involved with Jesus trying to get the seating assignments on the right and the left and things like that when she wanted her sons to have, uh, uh, you know, she wanted to book her son's seats in heaven ahead of time. John's mother, who we know by name, Salome, was Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus. How do I know this? Well, 
Here's a preview. John 19. You look at the different gospel records at the account of who were the women at the cross watching Jesus hanging there. Okay? John chapter 19 and verse 25. We'll start with that. Just one chapter over. Um, so they're dividing the clothing, casting lots. The soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Okay? I count four women in that verse. The first woman is Mary, and three of them are named Mary. Okay? <laughs> um, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, number one whose name we know is Mary, not listed there, but his mother Mary, and then his mother's sister. I view that as Salome, the mother of James and John, as the second woman. Then the third woman, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then the fourth woman, Mary Magdalene. Okay? And when you have so many Marys around, you start calling some of them by middle names. That even happens in modern times. It even happens in this room. But in any event, now not everybody counts. Am I wrong? Is your name Mary? I thought it was. Okay. All right. Um, now, not everybody counts four women in that verse. Some people only count three. Because they count Jesus' mother as one, and then his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, as number two, and then Mary Magdalene as number three. And so they blur that, which grammatically, you know, you can do. You don't have the punctuation of the manuscripts like we've got it punctuated here. The problem with that then is then you have two sisters both named Mary, which is highly unlikely. And, and then we have more trouble harmonizing with the other gospel records. So let's look at those other gospel records, like Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six. And so while that is a way you could read it, there's only three women there. And Mary, the wife of Clopas, would be then the sister of Jesus, uh, Jesus' mother Mary, beyond having two Marys in the family. Um, let's look at these other records. Matthew 27, 56, we're told, many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, that was woman four in the John record, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, Okay, now wait a minute. Now when you harmonize it, you find that she's the wife of Clopas, the mother of uh, James and Joseph. And then the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Aha! The mother of the sons of Zebedee. Well, who's that? Do we identify her with Mary, the wife of, of uh, Clopas? Or do we identify her with the sister of Mary of our Lord? So what you really ought to do when you combine all this, get a sheet of paper out, Put, a, put the gospel at the top, list the names in all these gospel accounts, and then start to harmonize, start to, to find who they are. And we find that we can reconcile pretty easily here the mother of the sons of Zebedee with the sister of Mary in John 19.25. Mark 15.40. The last one we'll look at, it's 11 o'clock, so I've got to wrap this up. Mark 15.40. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph. And that's interesting. The mother of James the Less, he was one of the disciples, right? He was one of the twelve, James the Less. 
and Salome. There's a, a name, a proper name. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and so forth. All right, so as we reconcile all these gospel accounts, we come up with the point that we come up with. John's mother, Salome, was Mary's sister. John's mother, Salome, was Mary's sister. That makes James and John, the sons of thunder, makes them cousins to Jesus. All right? Plus Jesus' half-brothers and sisters and so forth. They were cousins because their mothers were sisters. Right? All right. Which meant what? They were Davidic. It also meant that they were priestly. Because their kinsman, Elizabeth, was of the daughter of Aaron. Okay? So not only are they by birth Davidic, but they are by likely marriage connections. Their family is has a close kinship with not the crime syndicate, the real Daughters of Aaron, legitimate priestly line. Zechariah was of the order of, of uh, uh, whatever that was. He was of the order of Abijah or something. And his wife Elizabeth was also of the priestly line, the daughter of Aaron. Okay, We'll pick up on this next week because I'm out of time. But I want to I make this point and make it well that these aren't just, you know, John's not just some funky fisherman from Galilee somewhere who's from the, you know, a nobody from the tribe of Issachar. Okay? And he's got to have some kind of wealth. I think he's got a lot of wealth. You know, to maintain houses in multiple locations. Uh, to run a fishing fleet. We'll talk about that. All right. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day. Um, thank you for the start to these trials, Father. We'll have several weeks to come. Lord willing, rapture pending, Father. We want to study the details so that we... Um, can make the appropriate application ourselves. I thank you for the examples we've seen today, not only of Jesus, but also Peter and John in the book of Acts. Things that we should consider in our day if we're called forward, Father, if we are called to stand before a judge in order to do something that violates your Scriptures. So, Father, open our eyes. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.